you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So when I was a kid, I covered my walls with posters. This was kind of the thing to do back in the day. I don't know if you're around my age, 45-ish. Uh, you, you may have done the same thing, and the, every square inch I could cover, I had a poster somewhere of bands or skateboarders or basketball players, baseball players, and it was partially because that was the thing to do in the day, and it was also partially because from the time I was a baby, this was the wallpaper that was on my walls right here. I think a picture's coming up, so there it is. So everybody say, oh, yeah, I got an awe. That, that's awe at like seven years old, not so much 17 years old, right? Like, like, why are my friends want to come over and hang out in my house? You know, like, what's going on here? And so I covered up. Now, I'm guessing a lot of you guys had posters or pictures or different things on your walls, but don't raise your hand, but did anybody ever make a hole in your wall and something, a picture, a poster, right? That came in handy too for that. And I would do that at times. And I think what's interesting is, is here's this thin material covering over this hollow cavernous spot And that's a really good picture of people. It's also a really good picture of religion. When we just kind of cover over with something, this like shiny appearance, but down deep there's this emptiness or this hollowness or this brokenness. And that's going to be a big theme as we look at Mark chapter 7 today. Let's jump into our our questions here today. The first one is, is, are we more concerned with outward appearances or inward transformation? Like that's a question that the church needs to be asking at all times. Uh, inward transformation, or is it just like shiny and clean and like a poster up on a wall over a hollow place? And it brings up a few more questions that question does. Uh, what's hypocrisy? And is there any hypocrisy in me? And, and how do we see the next generation transformed by God and not make it about outward change, but true inward transformation? We're going to talk about that today. Another thing we're going to talk about, which we talk about from time to time because it's that important, is what was the Old Testament law about? Like sometimes we get confused when we read the Bible and there are rules in there, but there's like Old Testament rules and then there's Jesus comes and it gets a little confusing. So we're going to talk about that. And then lastly, is there a formula for healing? Have you ever felt like that? Like my friend or my loved one is sick or we have this need, we need God to provide or um, I have this anxiety or I'm afraid of the future and I, if God's gonna answer my prayers, then there's gotta be like a, a formula. Can I grab a hold of that formula? Can I pray it? And can I see God do what he needs to do? Do I have to have a certain tone in my voice as I pray? Do I have to say certain words? My body have to be postured in a certain place or way? Do I need to be physically in a certain location? Like how do I get God to show up? Is there a formula for healing or answered prayer? We're gonna find out how that works here today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, welcome. Thanks for coming. I wanna say again how awesome it was to have our kids in worship with us here today. What a special thing. But if you're here for the first time and you're wondering about all this and maybe you're even thinking, you know, I didn't even wanna come to church today because what I know of Christians is hypocrisy then I just would like to start by just apologizing to you. If, if you know someone in our church or if you have another church or a church experience or a religious experience and it, all you've seen is hypocrisy, I'm just so sorry for that. And I would say that we're aiming here at Living Word Church and there are many churches on the island I know that are aiming to be the real deal, to love Jesus truly, to represent him well. But I'll also add that unfortunately, even when that's done, we still fall short. There was one perfect person named Jesus and I want you to learn how to, what it looks like to follow him and to know him and to love him and be saved by him. 
But that's not an excuse for hypocrisy, so we're going to talk about that here today. And so Mark was friends with the disciple Peter, right? And Peter was an eyewitness of all the things that happened to Jesus. And so Mark gets his information here from the gospel of Mark from Peter. And we're going to get into our first question today. Are we more concerned with outward appearances or inward transformation? Let's get into this. Mark 7, 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Okay, the first thing we need to know is they're not eating with dirty hands like you and I think, okay? Now, that's a pet peeve for me. I, like anything unsanitary is a pet peeve for me. That's a deal breaker for me. If I'm in a restaurant and I'm in the bathroom and I see one of the cooks come in and go to the bathroom and not wash his hands, Uncle Doug's out, okay? We're going to somewhere else, right? Um, I remember years ago, I was at a county fair upstate New York, and this, I was just like 10,000 degrees out. It's like August. And so I see this fry station. I'm like, let me get some fries for the family. I get online. This line is like evil long. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and sweating. And I, I look behind the counter and there's this guy just sweating. And he's working over the food. And I keep telling myself, it's not dripping on the food. It's not dripping on the food. It's not. And then as I'm getting closer, I think there's maybe one person ahead of me. And I've been on this line for like 20 minutes. There's one person ahead of me. And he goes like this, across his head like this. And then he reaches back into the fries, right? And it's taken four years of therapy since I've been able to look at a potato. I can't even look at them, all right? So this is not what's going on. When they say unwashed, it's not literally that they were eating with filth all over their hands. It was a religious washing that they're talking about. And it says in verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. So it's not just a sanitary washing. There's a ceremonial washing holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So everything is focused on the outward. Everybody say outward. Everybody's focused on the hour here. Clean hands and clean cups and clean utensils. So what's wrong with that? I like clean cups, man. I like clean utensils. We went on a missions trip years ago to Belize, and we were there working with local missionaries, helping build a house for some people there in Belize who needed uh, tremendous help. And one day as we're finishing up dinner, everyone was on a little bit of a different team, and there's no wash, dishwasher there. And so you would hand wash everything, which already freaks me out a little bit. But, but there you are, hand washing everything. And we're halfway through finishing the, hand, the, 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 the washing there of the silverware, and the missionary says, okay, we got to get to the work site. And, and I said, but, but we didn't finish washing this stuff. And he's like, it's all right, you'll live. Like, just leave it. And I said, no, really, we really got to finish washing the stuff. And so he gets everybody in the vans, and I'm just, me and somebody, we're scrubbing. We're scrubbing. We ran down, you know, ran the van down the street and just barely made it because we had to make sure that stuff was washed. So I'm not anti-washing, and neither were the disciples. This is a whole different type of washing. It wasn't that the Pharisees did the ceremonial washing. It was why they did it. That was the problem. It was how they did it. You see, the reason that the scriptures go out of its way to say that they would wash their hands after the marketplace specifically was because if they, as Jews, were walking through the marketplace and would bump into a Gentile you know, accidentally, they'd get some Gentile cooties on them. And they would have to wash that off. And there was a ceremony washing that would make sure that they were clean from any of the unreligious people. What a distorted view, right? Matthew Henry says those cleans excuse me, those clean hands and that pure heart which Christ bestows on his disciples and requires of them are very different from the outward and superstitious forms of Pharisees of every age. 
Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Everybody say hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. May that never be us, right? Jesus says, you say things your heart doesn't mean. Your ways aren't God's ways. Your teachings aren't God's teaching. And he calls them hypocrites. And what is hypocrisy, right? Well, back here in the Greek, it is to play a part or an actor. It's to play a part or be an actor. Now, what we have to understand here, this is a big misunderstanding about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy doesn't mean you're imperfect. If hypocrisy equaled imperfection, then we'd all be hypocrites. That's not what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is when you pretend to not be imperfect, but you are, right? Hypocrisy is when you present yourself as one thing and you're really a very different thing. It refers to, again, an actor. It's like this thin poster up over the hole in the wall. And I think for me, hypocrisy would be to get up here and say, you know what, guys? I never have an anxious thought. Like, I never wrestle with things that are out of my control, I never have a thought that makes me worry about the building or the future or my family or right, X amount of things. I never wrestle with that. That's a complete lie. I, I'm very candid with you guys that I struggle with anxiety daily. It's a battle for me daily. I'm having to fight that daily. I'm having to bring that to the Lord daily. And you know what? If I don't tell you that and I pretend to be something I'm not, then everybody loses in that scenario. I lose because I just continue to get unhealthy and you lose because now it looks like I don't have a flaw. So if you have a flaw, who are you going to share it with? Not me. And so hypocrisy breaks apart our Christian community, and it really does horrible things to our own salvation and our own souls. But hear me say this. I'm not saying we lay back and go, oh, well, I struggle with anxiety. That's just going to be me for the rest of my life. No, we have a great Savior who is the Prince of Peace, right? We have a great Savior who knows how to handle every single struggle in this room and those watching online. And so we don't have to be hypocrites, but we also don't have to stay the same. We can present these things to the Lord. So that leads me to my next question. Is there any hypocrisy at work in our lives? I would encourage you to talk with God about it. I would encourage you to talk with somebody here in this place that you trust. Bring it to the prayer team at the end of the service. Bring it to me. Bring it to your community group this week. Bring it to somebody you've gotten to know that loves you and loves Jesus on your volunteer team. And let's get this stuff dealt with, right? Let's take those posters down off the wall and allow the holes to be exposed so that God and others can help bring the healing that we so badly need. Verse 9. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. So we'll stop there for a second. So Jesus brings up some Old Testament law, and he says, you guys say you're all about the law, but Moses says you're supposed to honor your father and mother. And then it says, but you say, in verse 11, that if anyone declares that what we might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin. Everybody say Corbin that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. What's all that about? That seems confusing. Here's what this is about. It is their hypocrisy on display in maybe the worst way. So here's what you could do back in the day. You could declare an item as Corbin, which means devoted to God. 
So uh, I declare these drums are Corbin, and they're devoted to God, um, but that doesn't mean I have to give them to the church. It, you know, that, that doesn't mean that I have to use them for God. Those are my drums, and I love them a lot, and so I'm going to devote them to God so they can't really be used for anything else. And so what the people back in the day would do is instead of helping their aging or ailing parents by selling some jewelry or clothing, they would say, oh, this is Corbin devoted to God. I can't sell this. I can't use this for other reasons. Devoted to God. And then they'd wear it out and go to their parties and do their thing, and it had nothing to do with God at all. It was just a way for them to be able to get out of helping their ailing, aging parent. And so he says, you're devoting these things to me, and they're not really devoted to me, and it's even worse because by devoting them to me in pretense, you're not helping your aging parent who needs your help. So all the kids in the room, help your parents, all right? (laughs) But You see the hypocrisy on display, and you see how they twist it to look like they're actually doing things that would please God. Verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Jesus says, it's not just this one Corbin issue. There are so many hypocritical things going on, he says. Verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. He's talking about food. He's talking about drink, what you eat, right? Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him, what is this about? Are you so dull, he asked. Jesus, so friendly at that moment right there. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. Jesus is trying to make clear something that to them was a huge deal. There's a huge shift for them back in the day. Because back in the day, it was taught that certain foods were clean and other foods were unclean. And if you ate the unclean foods, you became unclean too. Jesus is trying to help them understand something and take the emphasis, and this is really a big theme for the day, an emphasis emphasis off of the outward and really what's going on in the heart, right? Like, you're all worried about what you're eating and That's not what makes you unclean. It's what's going on in your heart that makes you unclean. And so they could have their hands washed and dishes washed and declare their property as Corbin, but God's going, that's just so fake. It's not real. It's hypocrisy. Years ago, I went on vacation. My extended family were in Virginia, and we kind of went into our hotel room, and as we're just walking around in our room, we just, it just smells. Like, our room just smells. Like, what's going on in our room? And I go into my dad's little area in his room and it didn't smell. I went to my sister's family's area. It didn't smell. I went back in our room. It smelled instantly. So I'm, I'm sniffing around and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I walk over where the smell is worst and I find seated, sitting on the floor a tomato. It's just sitting there. And apparently the people who were there the week before, or maybe the month before, I don't know, uh, it must have rolled out of the grocery bag and gone back behind the curtains there and it was just sitting there. And so I went to grab it and it exploded in my hands. Five years therapy since I've been able to look at a tomato, all right? <laughs> but what was that? Like literally looking at it, it looked perfect. It looked like I, I wasn't an idiot grabbing it. It looked like I could grab it. But it just exploded in my hands. And you know, I think some of us, it's like, man, as long as I could just look good on the outside, as long as my exterior is good, my inside might be all squishy and a mess and about to explode. But as long as I look good or people think I have it together, I'm in a good place. And I would just say, can we just be freed from that? We're going to fall short. We do fall short. And again, that's not an excuse to sin, but we can bring that sin to the Lord. We can bring that sin to each other. We can walk through stuff together. 
And again, I'm just so sorry that sometimes we get it wrong. I was at my buddy Hank's church last week out in Center Reach, amazing church out there, Connect Church. And I was just talking with the people, uh, casting some vision for the church. But one of the things that I brought up is, man, unfortunately, and, and I hate this so much, every pastor hates this with all our heart, but we do hurt each other. We, we do sometimes play the role of, I, I'm trying to look really good here, and I'm, I'm trying to you know, act in a certain way or make myself come off or our family come off in a certain way, but because we do that, it, it hurts, right? That's, that's every one of us at, at some time. We hurt somebody else. And man, my heart is, and God's heart is that we would, you know, just allow the walls of hypocrisy to come down, allow realness. And I think, you know, I, I would say by God's grace, I think this is something that we're aiming at and, and accomplishing in many ways, and yet there's always room to grow in it, right? To be there for one another and, and to look at one another and say, hey, how can we be honest, but how can we continue on in the way that God has for us? Man, what a beautiful thing God says we can do and enjoy here together. But here's Jesus saying that all foods can be eaten, and this is, this is new for them. William Barclay says, in effect, Jesus was saying that things cannot be either unclean or clean in any religious sense of the term. Only persons can be really defiled. And what defiles a person is his own actions, which are the product of his own heart. So why the difference here? Why does Jesus kind of bring this new way? If the Old Testament law said, Certain things were unclean and others were clean. And here's Jesus saying all things are clean. Like, what's the difference here? And that really leads us to our question. Like, what was the Old Testament law about? What was that Old Testament law about? Like, like what's it for? What was the purpose? And I, I bring this up from time to time because I think it can be confusing. And so there's really two reasons that we had the Old Testament law. One is it was there to act like a seatbelt. Remember, we've talked about this in the past. It was there to act like a seatbelt to restrain people from doing things they shouldn't do, right? Like, no one should murder anybody. That's a great law. I'm glad it's still a law. It's a seatbelt around people, right? It's a seatbelt until the Holy Spirit would come and be in our lives and, and right on our hearts, the scripture says, what's right and wrong, right? Um, the, the, the other reason is that it would show us we need a savior. It would show us we can't do it, right? Honor your mother and father. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not covet, right? All these things. Keep God first. Don't take his name in vain, well, gosh, we're in trouble because we haven't kept all those rules. And so the law was there to help us realize you need a Savior. And great news, a great Savior is coming, right? That's why the Old Testament law was there. And that's why we get to celebrate today because a great Savior has come. And he's rescued us and he's died in our place. If you're not a follower of Jesus, did you know that the rules don't save you? Did you know that you need a rescuer? You need an amazing God who loves you so much that he got on a cross and he gave his life and he rose from the dead, and that's why we get salvation. Not because of anything we've done. Anything we've done doesn't rule us out as we put our trust in him. Let's keep going. Verse 20. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So, we're back to our theme of the day here. Jesus is going, you guys are all focused on the outside, but your insides are like that tomato that's about to explode. You're all full of hypocrisy. You're all full of greed and lust and lying and all these other issues. And he lists 12 things that come from inside us. He lists six actions and six attitudes there in that list. And right here, we recognize every one of us desperately needs a savior. 
Because that's the x-ray of our heart. Anybody in the room ever got an x-ray, MRI, CAT scan, any of that stuff, sonogram, right? Isn't it amazing? Like they can take a picture of the inside of you. Well, if there was a sonogram or an MRI for the sinfulness in our heart, those are the things that would be coming up. And here we are going, wow, I can't deal with that myself, you know? Like I don't know a way to get these things out of my own heart or to make up for those things that I've done wrong. And here's Jesus coming and saying, I've come to be that savior for you. I've come to rescue you. And I think what it helps us get to here is this question, how do we see the next generation transformed by God? Because we have a lot of times, and again, this is a fine line. I'm I'm walking a tightrope today. I feel like I do that almost every Sunday. Thanks for that, by the way. And I'm always kind of like, how do we balance this, right? But, But how do we see the next generation transformed by God? Because how do we not make it about only external change? It's so easy to go that way. It's so easy, especially with younger people, man. It's so easy to be like, how do I make this kid listen? How do I make this, this young person, this college student, this high school student, this little elementary kid, how do I make this toddler listen? How do I you know, teach them in the ways of God and train them up in the ways of God? And I think so easily it can become the external and we miss the internal thing. I think this is a moment where only one thing can speak to us right here and now. That's 80s Christian metal. And so if you'll just allow me to go here. This is the lyrics from one of my favorite bands called the Galactic Cowboys. They're not a country band, by the way. But here are the lyrics. Got a pro- this is from the perspective of a parent. Got a problem at home and I don't really know what to do. This kid's out of control and the ring in the nose and the terrible clothes got to go. Would you look at his hair and the faraway stare in his eyes? And then they go on. They keep explaining this like friction with this kid. And I love the chorus. The chorus, they just keep singing over and over and over again. He needs a total inside makeover. Total inside makeover. Right? Not external makeover. A total internal inside makeover. Right? That's what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. Is it's about what's going on on the inside. It's about what the Lord is wanting to do there on the inside. And so what transformation are we worried about? Like, like, like what outward thing are we worried about when really God's just saying, I want it to be about my Holy Spirit's work in that child's life. I want it to be about being real. And parents, I say this a lot. I think part of it is not playing the hypocrite in that when we do lose our cool, when we do overreact, when we do fall short in front of our kids in some other way that has nothing to do with them, but they see it, it is just the most important thing that we go to them. And we apologize. And we say, I'm sorry. You know, that's not who I want to be. That's not who I'm aiming to be. That's not who God's called me to be. And I'm so, so sorry. I think that goes probably farther in our kids' lives than almost anything else we can do. Because now, dad's the same guy on the stage or in the church or in the church parking lot as I am at home. Because there's just the realness there, right? And that's the most important thing that our kids can possibly see in us. They know we screw up, everybody. Like, newsflash, none of our kids at home are like, wow, like, dad sins? Like, they know. But it's, you know what? You saw that, and I'm so, so sorry. Or even, maybe they didn't see it, but it's just a moment to pull our kid aside and say, you know what? Here's what I did today, and here's why this was really dumb. Here's how I hurt your mom. Here's how I hurt your dad. Here's how I, right? Like just a moment for them to see who we are, for them to get a glimpse of what it is to be a follower of Jesus that can own something and see that next generation raised up for him. And so it's about the inward, right? And the Old Testament law was there as a seatbelt 
And as a sign, we need a savior. Let's keep going. We're gonna look at two quick stories here to answer question number three. Is there a formula for healing? Here we go, Mark 7, 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she, she, all of a sudden there's a she in the story, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. So this woman is instantly running to Jesus. Can I just tell you that that is the answer to everything we're talking about? Like our hypocrisy, you better be running to Jesus. I better be running to Jesus with that. My struggles when that CAT scan of my heart comes back and there's pride in there or anger in there or anxiety in there or jealousy in there, right? I better be running to Jesus with all that because he is the answer to all that. Amen? Amen. All right, cool. We're on the same page. And so I love this next part. This woman was a Greek born in Syria, Felicia, uh, Phenicia, excuse me. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Wow. Ouch, right? That's not what we're expecting from Jesus. What's going on here? Well, it sounds a lot more offensive than it is. Uh, Commentators say he was likely quoting some quotations of the day that the local people would be familiar with. And when he says the dog, he's not talking about like outside scavenger as much as a household companion. But here's this woman who comes to Jesus and Jesus' mission was to reach the Jews of the day. And later, Paul would come and others would come and it would expand out to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, right? But Jesus was on a very serious mission of, hey, I'm here to reach those who are Jews and, you know, the message of salvation will go out to the Gentiles eventually, but that's who I'm here for. And here's this non-Jew, and I just love this because it goes right along with our theme for the day. She pushes past all the external stuff and just goes, I'm a soul in need. Like, what's the external stuff here? It's the language spoken, it's the color of skin, it's the dialect. She just pushes past all that and goes, I'm a soul in need. I, I need a total inside makeover for my daughter. And so she pushes past all that. Verse 28, the Lord, excuse me, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. The woman states that although she's not a Jew, certainly a touch from Jesus in that moment is not going to diminish his ministry to those he was called to at the time. And so Jesus heals this woman. And I just love it. Like, think about how powerful Jesus is. He doesn't even have to go to the lady's house. She just is free by the time he gets, she gets home. And think about the faith of this woman because she went home based on the word Jesus said all was well. Like that, if that's my kid, I'm going, Jesus, we're going on a little field trip to my house. You're going to come with me, and when I see all is well, then you can leave. But this woman says, no, I'm going to trust you, and she goes home. And look, look, look think about how powerful this is. Ready? The theme of the day is outward versus inward, right? Like Mark talks in the first half of the chapter about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and their outward focus and the inward mess. And then we see this illustration so clearly of what the inward mess can really look like to the most extreme degree. Here's a poor little soul tortured on the inside. Like sinful is one thing, but demonically possessed is another. But here's the most extreme example of outward versus inward need here. Verse 31, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. This girl is healed. She's good. God's good. Jesus leaves the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the, the, excuse me, the Decapolis. Uh, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put 
his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Now, I was miraculously healed a few years back, so thankful I didn't have to go through that part of it, just saying, but I'm sure this man didn't mind. And why would Jesus put his fingers in his ears and spit and touch his tongue? And, and isn't it interesting that earlier, we saw Jesus was nowhere near this girl who was demonically oppressed, but she was freed. And so then why the difference here? Why does he put his fingers in his ears and touch his tongues? And, and as you begin to study it, commentators think that it was a way for this man to clearly know this was a miracle from Jesus. Like, like you can almost hear the guy telling the story later, like, I couldn't hear, and Jesus just put his fingers in my ears and touched my tongue, and I could hear. Like, it was really him. It was very clearly him. And I think, though, that leads us to our third question. Is there a formula for healing? You know what I think is so cool about the stories we've read today and the stories we've looked at so far in the book of Mark? Is that it stops us from trying to make healing a formula. Like, think about it. Sometimes Jesus just spoke. Sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he was with them. Sometimes he never met them. Sometimes he looked up to heaven. It's just amazing how at certain times there was a command. It was all different. And I think it just takes the emphasis off of the technique and it puts it back on the Savior. It puts it back on the healer. And he gets the attention and the credit. Because you know we would mess this up, right? Like, you know, at the end of the service, if we thought there was some kind of a formula, like Jess and the prayer team be up here spitting on people, putting their fingers in people's ears. Like, why isn't the church growing? What's going on? What's wrong with our services here? But honestly, what a relief for us all. Because again, this goes with our theme for today, is takes the emphasis off the outward, and it goes back to the inward. Right? Jesus isn't waiting for a certain tone in your voice. He's not waiting for a certain posture in your body. Do we sometimes get down on our knees? Yeah, I think it's a good practice, but I don't think Jesus is waiting for that moment, and now that you got on your knees, I'll, I'll give you the healing that you need. Right? It's an inward thing that Jesus looks at. It's the heart. It's the faith. It's the expectation. It's the desire to see him move in our lives. And as I said a few weeks ago, there's a whole other dynamic that goes along with this too, isn't there? I've talked about a few weeks ago, if you missed it, we talked about what do we do when we don't get to healing? What do we do when the answer is wait or no? And I just remind you, and I'm going to probably keep bringing this up for a while, that, and I'm living it right now with my wife and what she's going through, is that we, we never leave Jesus without some type of either answer or grace to keep going, right? Like Paul says, take the thorn. He says, I won't, but my grace is enough. And so you are not alone. God's always answering the prayer with either yes, wait, no, but if it's wait or no, he always says, here's some grace for the time being. But we keep going. We keep going. We keep approaching our great Savior for healing. He looked up to the heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. Why look up to heaven? I think once again to make clear who brought the healing. Why sigh? To show compassion. I think Jesus' heart's heart breaks for those that are hurting and those that are in need. I know that I, as I pray with many of you guys who are going through stuff, there's times I just sigh because I love you. and My heart hurts for you as you go through difficulty. And I've gone through a lot of difficulty, and so I get it. I, I've gone through so much difficulty. I'm not trying to brag here. I'm just trying to say what God's brought me through. I recently had a friend. Uh, I'm bragging about my difficulty. Um, I, I had a friend who's a pastor say, hey, Doug, can you address the pastors on Long Island about how to lead through personal suffering? Like, you don't want to be the guy who leads that workshop, okay? I'm just saying. But that's how good our God is, that he carries us through difficulty. And I'm telling you, I, I'm going to be a mess when I do it. In a few weeks, you'll be praying for me. It's sometime in March. I don't remember the exact date, but just pray for me because I'm going to be crying my way through that whole thing because one of the things God's done in me through my suffering is break my heart for others who suffer. 
And it's like I can feel it sometimes. So that's off topic, but you just pray for me. So, I don't know. Oh, yeah, the sighing thing. That's why I brought that up. Okay, Mark 7, 35. At this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Some miraculous healing takes place. And I'll just summarize the last two verses, and they're not surprising. Everyone was amazed, and the message about Jesus spread. No big surprise there. What do we see today? Are we more concerned with outward appearances or inward transformation? And may that never be us. May we never be hypocrites or actors. And if we have been, we need to work on that. We need to bring that to the Lord. We need to bring that to each other. Guys, we're a church of a few hundred people. There's going to be some hypocrisy kicking around. I hate it. Right? I hate it, but it happens. I told you before, I think Pastor Ravone told us this years ago, that there were two cars in the state of New Jersey, the first two cars ever, and they got into an accident with each other. You got the whole state. Drive somewhere else, right? Like, this is what happens when more than one person enters a room, right? We bump into each other. There's hurt. There's disappointment. Christians shouldn't be like that. Christians shouldn't live like that. Yeah. Let's bring it to the Lord. Let's grow. Let's be a church that is different. Let's be a church that's on the move. Like I said, our, our own brokenness and hollowness behind the poster doesn't just mean we leave it there. We take the poster down and we say, Lord, now heal me and fill me and Christians around me support me and help me through this. So may we be real with the, each other and be real with the Lord. May we run to Jesus like the woman did. May we see the next generation absolutely won over because we're worried about inward transformation, not the outward external thing. What was the Old Testament law about? It's the seatbelt, but the greater thing is it's to show us we need a Savior. And lastly, is there a formula for healing? No. What an awesome thing that Jesus modeled for us, that we would just be led by him, we can pray and be led by him, and we can see him use us in different ways. Next week, the story of Mark continues. Today, we've seen that, man, we get to be a people transformed by this great God from the inside out, trusting an amazing Savior, shining his great love to the next generation. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you need a Savior just like I do. You need a personal Savior. You need a Jesus in your life. You need one who loves you so much and died for you and wants you to know his incredible mercy in your life. But let's worry about what's going on in here and not so much what's going on out in the external. A few months ago, I asked my friend Joe if he would share his story at the men's groups. A lot of you guys were there. And Joe is a big dude. He's a weightlifter guy. He's a smart guy, successful guy, businessman, and Joe got up in front of our guys at the men's group, and he said through tears, and I have permission to share this story, that in this last season, God has brought about great conviction in his life, that there are things that he needed to change, that there are ways he was treating his wife and his kids that needed to change, that he went to them and he wept and he broke before them and he asked forgiveness. And here's this big weightlifter guy. If you've been in the room with him, you know who I'm talking about because you can't miss this guy. Just going, here's what's actually going on on the inside. And you know what? As we left men's group that night, not one guy said to me, man, I, don't, I can't believe Joe. What a, what a failure and what a mess and what a hypocrite. And I, I, I can't even talk to Joe anymore. Do you know what they all left saying? Man, out of everything we did tonight, that's what reached me. Out of all the conversation, the little thing you shared, Doug, the... Like, out of everything, it was what Joe said when he got real, when he stopped playing the part of an actor, when he took the poster down, when he allowed us to see some of the hollowness of his heart. And we saw him not just saying, hey, I'm broken, but saying, hey, I'm broken, but I have a great Savior. And like this woman, I'm running to him. That's what makes an impact. And so, church, we can be real with each other. We can love each other, and we can carry each other. Because it's about what God's doing on the inside. Let's pray together. Lord, 
we want to come and just say that, first off, we're just grateful for your mercy. We're grateful that you are a God who wants us to come to you. I mean, how crazy is that thought even? A God who wants us to run to you with our brokenness, with our hollow areas, with the the places that we play the actor or the hypocrite. So God, we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. Any place we've tried to make ourselves look better than we really are, we just, we just lay that down humbly at your feet, God. And we just say, we need you, we love you, we thank you that you're a God of mercy, and would you help us be a church that is the exact opposite of hypocrisy, Lord? Would you help us be a church that's real with you and real with one another? Would you help us be a church that raises up the next generation focused on that internal change, Lord God? God, would you help us embrace the fact that we need a savior today. The law was given to be a seatbelt, but to show us how much we couldn't keep it, how much we couldn't keep those rules and follow those rules to save ourselves. We needed a savior to come and die in our place. And so Jesus, help us with that. And lastly, God, I thank you. There's no formula for healing. I thank you, God, that you're a merciful God, that your Holy Spirit leads us one way, another way. That God, Jesus, you modeled to us what it is to be one that carries the healing of God to the world that is in need. And so we thank you for that. We love you, God. We just humble ourselves before you. We ask for tremendous grace and mercy, help and hope in our lives today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to put your trust in him today. I encourage you to pray now if that's you. Would you just pray something like this? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting a relationship with me. Thank you that you came for me. And thank you that I get to run to you all my stuff, my garbage, my mess, all the hollow places in my life. And Holy Spirit, fill me now. Help me to honor you with my life. Help me to live out of a life, live a life of love out of what you've given me. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Your name. Amen. Hey, everybody, let's stand together. Let's worship together. And if you need prayer, myself and a couple of our prayer team will be right up here in the front. And we would just love to pray with you. Whatever you got going on, we're here for you.